Chapter Twenty Seven of Jenny Gerhardt by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For three years now, Lester had been happy in the companionship of Jenny. Irregular as the connection might be in the eyes of the church and of society, it had brought him peace and comfort, and he was perfectly satisfied with the outcome of the experiment. His interest in the social affairs of Cincinnati was now practically nil, and he had consistently refused to consider any matrimonial proposition which had himself as the object. He looked on his father's business organization as offering a real chance for himself if he could get control of it, but he saw no way of doing so. Robert's interests were always in the way, and if anything, the two brothers were farther apart than ever in their ideas and aims. Lester had thought once or twice of entering some other line of business or allying himself with another carriage company, but he did not feel that he could conscientiously do this. Lester had a salary, 15000 a year as secretary and treasurer of the company. His brother was vice president, and about 5000 from some outside investments. He had not been so lucky or so shrewd in speculation as Robert had been, aside from the principle which yielded his five thousand. He had nothing. Robert, on the other hand, was unquestionably worth between three and four hundred thousand dollars, in addition to his future interest in the business, which both brothers shrewdly suspected would be divided somewhat in their favor. Robert and Lester would get a fourth each, they thought, their sisters a sixth. It seemed natural that Kane Sr. should take this view, seeing that the brothers were actually in control and doing the work. Still, there was no certainty. The old gentleman might do anything or nothing. The probabilities were that he would be very fair and liberal. At the same time, Robert was obviously beating Lester in the game of life. What did Lester intend to do about it? There comes a time in every thinking man's life when he pauses and takes stock of his condition, when he asks himself how it fares with his individuality as a whole, mental, moral, physical, material. This time comes after the first heedless flights of youth have passed, when the initiative and more powerful efforts have been made, and he begins to feel the uncertainty of results and final values which attaches itself to everything. There is a deadening thought of uselessness which creeps into many men's minds, the thought which has been best expressed by the preacher in Ecclesiastes. Yet Lester strove to be philosophical. What difference does it make, he used to say to himself, whether I live at the White House or here at home or at the Grand Pacific? but in the very question was the implication that there were achievements in life which he had failed to realize in his own career. The White House represented the rise and success of a great public character. His home and the Grand Pacific were what had come to him without effort. He decided for the time being, it was about the period of the death of Jenny's mother, that he would make some effort to rehabilitate himself. He would cut out idling. These numerous trips with Jenny had cost him considerable time. 
he would make some outside investments. If his brother could find avenues of financial profit, so could he. He would endeavor to assert his authority. He would try to make himself of more importance in the business, rather than let Robert gradually absorb everything. Should he forsake Jenny? That thought also came to him. She had no claim on him. She could make no protest. Somehow, he did not see how it could be done. It seemed cruel, useless above all. Though he disliked to admit it, it would be uncomfortable for himself. He liked her, loved her, perhaps, in a selfish way. He didn't see how he could desert her very well. Just at this time he had a really serious difference with Robert. His brother wanted to sever relations with an old and well-established paint company in New York, which had manufactured paints especially for the house, and invest in a new concern in Chicago, which was growing and had a promising future. Lester, knowing the members of the Eastern firm, their reliability, their long and friendly relations with the house, was in opposition. His father at first seemed to agree with Lester, but Robert argued out the question in his cold, logical way, his blue eyes fixed uncompromisingly upon his brother's face. "'We can't go on forever,' he said, "'standing by old friends, just because father here has dealt with them, or you like them. We must have a change. The business must be stiffened up. We're going to have more and stronger competition.' "'It's just as father feels about it,' said Lester at last. I have no deep feeling in the matter. It won't hurt me one way or the other. You say the house is going to profit eventually? I've stayed at the arguments on the other side. I'm inclined to think Robert is right, said Archibald Kane calmly. Most of the things he has suggested so far have worked out. Lester colored. Well, we won't have any more discussion about it then, he said. He rose and strolled out of the office. The shock of this defeat, coming at a time when he was considering pulling himself together, depressed Lester considerably. It wasn't much, but it was a straw. And his father's remark about his brother's business acumen was even more irritating. He was beginning to wonder whether his father would discriminate in any way in the distribution of the property. Had he heard anything about his entanglement with Jenny? had he resented the long vacations he had taken from business. It did not appear to Lester that he could be justly chargeable with either incapacity or indifference, so far as the company was concerned. He had done his work well. He was still the investigator of propositions put up to the house, the student of contracts, the trusted adviser of his father and mother. But he was being worsted. Where would it end? He thought about this, but could reach no conclusion. Later that same year, Robert came forward with a plan for reorganization in the executive department of the business. He proposed that they should build an immense exhibition and storage warehouse on Michigan Avenue in Chicago and transfer a portion of their completed stock there. Chicago was more central than Cincinnati. Buyers from the West and country merchants could be more easily reached and dealt with there. It would be a big advertisement for the house, a magnificent evidence of its standing and prosperity. Kane Sr. and Lester immediately approved of this. Both saw its advantages. Robert suggested that Lester should undertake the construction of the new building. 
it would probably be advisable for him to reside in Chicago a part of the time. The idea appealed to Lester, even though it took him away from Cincinnati, largely, if not entirely. It was dignified and not unrepresentative of his standing in the company. He could live in Chicago, and he could have Jenny with him. The scheme he had for taking an apartment could now be arranged without difficulty. He voted yes. Robert smiled. I'm sure we'll get good results from this all around, he said. As construction work was soon to begin, Lester decided to move to Chicago immediately. He sent word for Jenny to meet him, and together they selected an apartment on the north side, a very comfortable suite of rooms on a side street near the lake, and he had it fitted up to suit his taste. He figured that living in Chicago, he could pose as a bachelor. He would never need to invite his friends to his rooms. There were his offices, where he could always be found, his clubs and the hotels. To his way of thinking, the arrangement was practically ideal. Of course, Jenny's departure from Cleveland brought the affairs of the Gerhardt family to a climax. Probably the home would be broken up, but Gerhardt himself took the matter philosophically. He was an old man, and it did not matter much where he lived. Bass, Martha, and George were already taking care of themselves. Veronica and William were still in school, but some provision could be made for boarding them with a neighbor. The one real concern of Jenny and Gerhardt was Vesta. It was Gerhardt's natural thought that Jenny must take the child with her. What else should a mother do? Have you told him yet, he asked her, when the day of her contemplated departure had been set. No, but I'm going too soon, she assured him. Always soon, he said. He shook his head, his throat swelled. It's too bad, he went on. It's a great sin. God will punish you, I'm afraid. The child needs someone. I'm getting old, otherwise I would keep her. There is no one here all day now to look after her right, as she should be. Again he shook his head. I know, said Jenny weakly. I'm going to fix it now. I'm going to have her live with me soon. I won't neglect her, you know that. But the child's name, he insisted. She should have a name. Soon, in another year, she goes to school. People will want to know who she is. It can't go on forever like this. Jenny understood well enough that it couldn't. She was crazy about her baby. The heaviest cross she had to bear was the constant separations and the silence she was obliged to maintain about Vesta's very existence. It did seem unfair to the child, and yet Jenny did not see clearly how she could have acted otherwise. Vesta had good clothes, everything she needed. She was at least comfortable. Jenny hoped to give her a good education. If only she had told the truth to Lester in the first place. Now it was almost too late, and yet she felt that she had acted for the best. Finally, she decided to find some good woman or family in Chicago who would take charge of Vesta for a consideration. In a Swedish colony to the west of LaSalle Avenue, she came across an old lady who seemed to embody all the virtues she required, cleanliness, simplicity, honesty. She was a widow doing work by the day, but she was glad to make an arrangement by which she should give her whole time to Vesta. 
The latter was to go to kindergarten when a suitable one should be found. She was to have toys and kindly attention, and Mrs. Olson was to inform Jenny of any change in the child's health. Jenny proposed to call every day, and she thought that sometimes, when Lester was out of town, Vesta might be brought to the apartment. She had had her with her at Cleveland, and he had never found out anything. The arrangements completed, Jenny returned at the first opportunity to Cleveland to take Vesta away. Gerhardt, who had been brooding over his approaching loss, appeared most solicitous about her future. She should grow up to be a fine girl, he said. You should give her a good education. She is so smart. He spoke of the advisability of sending her to a Lutheran school and church, but Jenny was not so sure of that. Time and association with Lester had led her to think that perhaps the public school was better than any private institution. She had no particular objection to the church, but she no longer depended upon its teachings as a guide in the affairs of life. Why should she? The next day it was necessary for Jenny to return to Chicago. Vesta, excited and eager, was made ready for the journey. Gerhardt had been wandering about, restless as a lost spirit, while the process of dressing was going on. Now that the hour had actually struck, he was doing his best to control his feelings. He could see that the five-year-old child had no conception of what it meant to him. She was happy and self-interested, chattering about the ride and the train. "'Be a good little girl,' he said, lifting her up and kissing her. "'See that you study your catechism and say your prayers. And you won't forget the grandpa. What?' He tried to go on, but his voice failed him. Jenny, whose heart ached for her father, choked back her emotion. There, she said, "'If I had thought you were going to act like that,' she stopped. "'Go,' said Gerhardt manfully. "'Go. It is best this way.' And he stood solemnly by as they went out the door. Then he turned back to his favorite haunt, the kitchen, and stood there staring at the floor. One by one they were leaving him. Mrs. Gerhardt, Bass, Martha, Jenny, Vesta. He clasped his hands together after his old-time fashion and shook his head again and again. So it is, so it is, he repeated. They all leave me. All my life goes to pieces. End of chapter 27